disclaimer, we're backing Greek and Roman mythological stories, so there's a blanket content warning this week. More violence than usual, some adult themes, all of it's laid out in the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in Greek and Roman folklore, where we'll see that when you accidentally turn yourself into a donkey through some mislabeled lotion, you're in for a bad time. Also, we'll see that the best way to listen to the Myths and Legends back catalog is in a cave, surrounded by dangerous strangers. The creature this time is a tiger-wolf-tanuki combo, with deadly bad breath. This is Myths and Legends, episode 296B. Should I bray or should I go? This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the Metamorphoses of Apuleius. Last week, we started the story of Lucius, who really wanted to learn how to be a wizard. But, well, he had a little accident. When his girlfriend broke into a witch's hut, and he slathered himself with a magical ointment, he found that he didn't turn himself into an eagle, but a donkey. Which would have been fine. All he needs to do to change back is to eat some roses. But when his girlfriend went to get him some roses and left him in the stable, well, the house he was staying at, Milo's, was robbed. The stolen goods were piled on his back, and he was led off into the mountains. Lucius ached. He ached all over. The burden, the beatings. He couldn't go on. They seemed to walk endlessly in the mountains. At first, Lucius's donkey face lit up when, just a day outside of Hypatia, he spotted some roses growing by the road. He studied them off in the distance, making a plan. All he had to do was eat one of them, and that would be it. He'd be Lucius again. He would be Lucius again. He would be Lucius and the men chasing after him, who had been marching him relentlessly through the mountains for hours on this day alone, would be close behind. It could go two ways. They'd know they had a witness to the robbery of Milo's house, or they would think they were in the presence of a wizard. Lucius couldn't see himself lasting long either way. His only choice was to keep walking, wait for his window. Finally, they stopped off at a town. Lucius could tell by the wariness of the house, where they stopped, by how the thieves had to dig into their packs for some money to pay the couple who lived there, that this wasn't their final destination. Still, it was a bit of a respite. They removed the bags from Lucius, the other donkey, and Lucius's horse. Lucius dropped from his hooves in the stable, and then saw the other donkey out there. Grazing? Oh, no, no, no. He had just walked for days. He wasn't going to eat grass, please. Lucius trotted past the other two animals and went to look for something real to eat. He found it not too long after. The gardener had left his storehouse open, and though bare vegetables weren't anything for human Lucius to be excited about, his donkey tongue loved them. He devoured a shed's worth of raw vegetables before he heard the sound at the door. It was the gardener. Lucius didn't know where the kick came from. He didn't even know how any of this worked. Did he have a donkey brain now? If so, how was he having human thoughts? Wait, did donkeys have thoughts too? Should they not be so mean to donkeys? So many questions. 
none of them related to the gardener doubling over, screaming. His wife came out, yelling at the donkey. Her husband! The donkey had killed her husband, maybe! Donkey Lucius tried to explain himself, but once again, he was a donkey, and the gardener's wife did not speak donkey. She dragged her husband out, and Lucius just kept eating. I mean, she could scream all she wanted, but what was she going to do? Then he heard the barking. Hounds. Everything in his donkey body screamed at him. Predators. They were coming for him. Lucius scuttled from the shed. The gardener's wife had released the hounds. Lucius galloped off, running as fast as his hooves would take him. But it wasn't fast enough. He could feel the teeth snapping mere inches from his hooves. He was still tired from the climb. He would never make it. He hadn't planned on a last stand, but when he skidded to the rocky cliff edge, the pebbles bouncing on the jagged rocks dozens of feet below, he knew that this was it. The dogs fanned out, trapping him against the edge. There was no place to run. Lucius turned. He could keep them at bay with the threat of a kick, maybe even kill one of them. Once they lunged and bit, he would dive off the cliff, taking as many of them with him as he could. He looked over his shoulder, grumbling for them to come and do it. The dogs hesitated. Then the leader lunged. As that was happening, Lucius felt the rumble. You see, human Lucius, all about that varied diet, different types of food. He loved his wines and spices and creams of all sorts. He had an iron stomach. Donkey Lucius, well, his stomach played by different rules. A load of fresh vegetables, a bit rich for his donkey system. You see, they had liquefied. It was probably the panic that broke the dam. But break it did. A full-on projectile spray hit the hounds, took a short break, then a hose of it hit the leader. The dog closed his mouth that he was going to use to bite the donkey and stepped back. There was a thick cloud of shame for the donkey who had soiled everyone and everything in his moment of panic and for the dogs who had been on the business end of Donkey Lucius discovering how his new digestive system worked. What do you even say in this situation? Luckily, Lucius didn't have to worry about that. He heard someone yell, there he is, and then footsteps up the path. The dogs broke and ran. The bandit covered his nose and, confused by the six dogs looming in the negative space on the road, he collared the donkey and dragged the creature back down to the village. There was a lot of shouting and screaming from the gardener's house. It was too much heat. They were going to get back on the road immediately. Lucius once again felt the burden of the pack, the bite of the whip, and they were back on the road. Lucius was done. They had been going for another day. They were in the highlands now. Each step was torture. He decided to do it. He would lay down. What was the worst they could do? Leave him? Great. He'd gather his strength and go look for some roses. Beat him? Oh, yeah, like they weren't beating him all the time anyway. Lucius took a deep breath, and then the donkey next to him dropped. 
Lucius screamed, come on, that was his idea. It was kind of lucky. He had the other donkey to test out his hypothesis, though. They beat the donkey, for sure, but when he didn't rise, they could see that he was used up. They removed the pack, but didn't leave him. They cut the tendons on his legs, carried him to the edge of the cliff, and dropped him off. Lucius could hear the donkey at the bottom, brain in terror and agony, unable to move to feed itself, destined to be food for whatever predator would come its way. Lucius swallowed hard and straightened up to a trot. Yep, he was a good donkey. Luckily, it wasn't too much farther. A few hours up the mountain, and they came to a small cave. One that was big enough for the bandits and the donkey, but too small even for the horse. The bandits had to crouch, but it opened up to a magnificent room, replete with riches, carpets, a fire crackling, and a long table. Hey, old woman, where's our food? The group's leader shouted. A woman scurried out from the kitchen in the back, arms full of stew and ale. Lucius caught bits of this as he was bringing in Milo's gold for the men, and from where he was stabled outside, he could hear everything happening within. His trough was filled with barley grains, and he ate. The bandit crew was in dire straits. Despite a successful heist on Milo's place, they had lost their leader who dressed up like a bear to rob a circus owner and then was stabbed to death because he was dressed up like a bear, loose in the house of the circus owner. Yeah, turns out they were pretty prepared for bears. Lucius tried to strike up a conversation with the horse. His horse, but the thing wouldn't give him the time of day. Then, a day and a night later, she arrived. A young woman, gagged and bound, being dragged by six more of the bandits. Another team. They had robbed the house of a noble and taken the daughter for ransom. They actually crashed her wedding, like crashed through the door, stormed in with swords, taking her and killing anyone who got in their way, including, tragically, the groom, who chased after them. He took a rock to the head, and the young woman, named Sharit, looked back to see him on the ground, eyes open, in a growing pool of his own blood. The bandits laughed at her tears over dinner, telling her to relax. If her dad did the right thing and paid the ransom, she would be out of this cave in no time. If not, well, things might not go so well. They told her to get some sleep. She had just had a big day of being kidnapped. Lucius, from the outside, heard the older woman speaking to the younger, preparing a place for her to sleep among the rest of the bandit's spoils. Lucius's donkey ears were able to pick up the pleading. Sharit said she knew she was never going to leave this cave right? The old woman was silent. Sharit said that she could see the old woman was a prisoner, too. Neither of them could make it that far. She only asked for something. A rope, a bit of sharp pottery, anything to make it quick. Sharit said that she watched her love die. Up here in the mountains with these men, she was at risk of things. Shreet begged her, please, as a woman, would she spare the girl? There was a long bit of silence. Then the older woman spoke. Shreet misunderstood. You see, down there in the villages, she was an old woman. All of her family was gone. No one cared for her, respected her. She might as well be invisible. She had been taken one day, though. It was harrowing for sure, but she found that she fit in. 
She cooked and cleaned up here, yes, but she also helped them plan their attacks. She served as a diversion on the road, or as bait to lure people in. She never felt more alive. So no, Sharit shouldn't confuse things. Sharit was the captive. The old woman was one of the crew, and there was no way out. She would stay with Sharit at all hours, watching her. If she tried anything, the old woman would make sure Sharit's last experience in life was being burned alive. Was that understood? From the silence, Lucius could only assume Sharit nodded. Good, the elderly woman said with a smile. Now, how would Sharit like to hear a story to help her sleep? Just kidding. Didn't matter if she wanted it. The older woman was telling a story. Now, the story is actually Cupid and Psyche, told way, way back in the early days of this podcast in episode 23. I linked it in the show notes if you're interested. If you want the true experience of the story, pause the episode, download the old one, go sit in a cave with a bunch of dangerous strangers and give it a listen. Lucius was annoyed. First, he heard that amazing story with no way to write it down because he didn't have any paper or thumbs. Well, actually, the first reason was that he had been kidnapped by bandits. Well, okay, it was that he was a donkey at all. He was still mad at Fotis for not giving him eagle powers. Eagles never had to put up with stuff like this. Over the next few days, Lucius worked for the bandits, but he was beat. Literally. He was tired, but he was also beaten. A lot. The bandits called him a clapped-out donkey, and Lucius overheard them planning to kill him when they got back home. Lucius was a lot of things. Lazy, a philanderer, a liar, but he wasn't a quitter. Except for the time a couple of days ago when he planned on quitting coming up the path. Still, he wasn't just going to sit around and wait to die. He saw what happened to his tired donkey co-worker. Only the jagged rocks awaited him. He arrived back at the house to see the elderly woman letting Sharid out for a walk. The bandits handed Donkey Lucius's reins off to the elderly woman while they went to get their donkey-cutting knives. With that, Donkey Lucius saw his last, best chance and bolted. A couple things happened next. The elderly woman hit the ground, hard, and Lucius, though he ran, found her wrist tangled in his reins. He was going to have a difficult time navigating the mountain passes, dragging her with him, especially if she woke up. Then, he felt a pulling on the reins. He turned. It was Sharit. The elderly woman's arm fell limp after Sharit unlooped it from the reins. Sharit climbed atop Lucius's back and told the donkey to ride. Lucius did not need to be told twice. Together, he and Sharit rode down the mountain paths. She told him this was like Orion and the dolphin, Phrixus and the ram, Zeus and Europa without all the other stuff. She would make a shrine to this donkey at the house of her parents, and he would be... slaughtered. They turned a corner, and just as surprised as them, the other half of the bandit troop was returning from a job. They reached for their weapons, wrenched Sharit from atop Lucius, and dragged them both back to the cave. We'll see what the bandits decide to do with the escapees, but that will be right after this. 
Creating visual content, it's an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. It's usually the last thing to be done, the final step. And it used to be the worst, just not our forte. But ever since I found Canva, I can design anything like a pro and on any device, even if I had no prior design experience. Canva Pro makes it possible. What do we mean? Canva Pro makes it easy to create stunning visual content in any format, from social media posts to videos, presentations, even websites. And you can make professional-looking content in minutes thanks to all the templates. They're all customizable, too. Canva Pro takes all the guesswork out of it, like backgrounds removed with a single click, resized content for different channels with magic resize. I use that tool so much. And because we can share social media assets directly and schedule posts ahead of time, Canva Pro saves us time in two ways. Who knew it could be so easy? It is our best design secret. Design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me myths. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash myths for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash myths. When it comes to my gut, I don't want to be special. I want to be regular. That's where trust your gut comes in. Trust your gut is keeping me regular, and that is a good feeling. Aura's Trust Your Gut Probiotic and Prebiotic Supplement contains some of the world's most powerful probiotic strains, along with prebiotics to help the good bacteria thrive in your gut. So your probiotics work smarter, not harder. Probiotics support optimal digestive health and healthy gut bacteria, which in turn provides support for bloating and common digestive issues. It is no surprise that a healthy mix of probiotics in your gut has been linked to having a strong immune system. I appreciate the Trust Your Gut is available in capsule and powder format, and it's also third-party tested for common allergens like gluten and dairy. And because it's from Aura, you can trust it to provide clean, quality, plant-based, and cruelty-free nutrition that works. As a company, Aura is radically transparent, and we like that. You have nothing to lose. Try Aura's products, and if you're not happy within 60 days, you get a full refund, no questions asked. Get 30% off your first subscription when you text MYTHS to 64000. Text MYTHS to 64000 and get 30% off your first subscription. That's MYTHS to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at AuraOrganic slash terms. He found it in himself to run, I guess. The bandit sneered at Lucius when the man returned to the cave at nightfall. He asked when dinner would be ready, but the bandit pointed to the cliff edge. She was dead. She died when she hit her head upon the donkey's escape. The bandit asked if he checked for breath or a pulse before sending her over the edge of the cliff to make sure she wasn't just knocked out. The bandit who disposed of the body looked to the cliff. Well, all the same now. They had a punishment in mind for Sharit and her donkey savior. And fair warning, this is a bit brutal. They were going to disembowel Lucius, slowly, while he was still conscious. Then, when he was dead, they were going to stitch Sharit up in his stomach and just leave her to the beasts of the wilderness. If she was eaten, great. Starved, even better. Well, that's a stupid idea, they heard from the mouth of the cave. The bandits drew their swords and clubs when they saw the stranger. Oh, sorry, he's with me, they heard from behind the man. One more of the bandits stood behind the man in the opening. Everyone pushed into the hideout, and the bandit returning explained that, since they had talked about upping recruitment, he found Hamus. 
The de facto bandit leader said that was great. They would talk about that, but status update on Milo's house. With that, Lucius's donkey ears pricked up. Milo, his host. The bandit was the one tasked with staying behind in town to see if anyone knew who they were. And guys, we lucked out, he said, waving for them to uncork the wine. Yeah, apparently the night we robbed the place, they had this house guest, some guy named Lucius, that just up and vanished. Everyone thinks it was him. His aunt in town was questioned. The authorities sent someone to his hometown. If he shows up there, in Thessaly, or any place in between, he would be executed for the robbery. Outside, they heard a donkey snort and kick against his enclosure. The bandits in the hideout now demanded to know what was up with... Hamus, was it? It was! Hamus beamed, he cocked an eyebrow. Hamus of Thrace, master thief, bandit, robber. He started pouring wine in goblets and handing them out to the men. The men were in awe. Hamus, the Hamus. Hamus grinned, the very same. The men say that they thought Hamus was dead. What, because the emperor ordered the execution of my band and they mercilessly slaughtered everyone? The bandit said, yeah. That would be the reason. Hamus said he escaped from the carnage by taking advantage of the army's only sometimes desire to slaughter women and children by dressing up as an enslaved woman while they literally cut his friends and followers to pieces. The bandits nodded to one another. <laughs> That's why this guy was a professional. Hamus said he wanted to join their little band and make something of it. They would go from living in a house of stone to a house of gold. Speaking of gold he unlooped some of the packs from his belt and tossed them on the table. This was his dowry to speak. The men opened up the packs and the gold poured out of them. He, the famous Hamus, the untamable Hamus, Hamus no shame, us, would join their band. He would give this gold to them if they agreed to let him be their leader. Hamus smiled, starting up a cheer. Hamus, 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 Hamus. Now, I mean, they had him there, surrounded by thieves with swords, but they were down a leader due to questionable choices in a bear suit, and he had just made all those rhymes, so yeah, goblets went up, a cheer erupted, and then heads dropped. The room, to a man, dropped unconscious. Sharit watched, in awe, as the man tossed away the bottle he had used to drug all the bandits. A donkey brayed outside, and Hamus turned to see the last bandit crouching as he made his way into the cave. The bandit looked around. What happened to all those guys? Hamus elbowed him in the face, and the last of the bandits was down. Sharit had slid a knife off the table and was waiting for her next captor when the man took off his wig. The knife clattered to the stones. To Pulmus? It was her fiancé. He had taken a stone to the head and woke up at night in the forest. Wounded, but alive. He knew he had to rescue her. So he went home, got way too much gold in a wig, and found the bandit, who had been passing through on his way back from Hypatia. Together, they bound the bandits in the cave with any rope they could find. Donkey Lucius, as he carried Sharit down the mountain, kind of wondered why they didn't just kill the bandits. I mean, he understood not wanting to be evil and all that, but leaving a whole cave of bandits felt like they were asking for a surprise when the rest of the town came up there to deal out some frontier justice. They weren't. 
The bandits were still asleep when the townspeople arrived at the hideout. Together, they divvied up the spoils, tossed some bandits down a mountain, and tossed some in the bonfire out front, then called it a day. Lucius was the guest of honor at the wedding, and lauded as the donkey that kind of almost saved Charit. He thought for sure he was good now. He would have a life of donkey leisure, but he was wrong. Charit had promised to honor him always, but she was newly married and off on her honeymoon. Her parents looked the donkey over and sent him to work on a farm they owned. He was worked from dawn to dusk and then turned out into a field where he had to fight with the horses for food. When he was led off to be the playmate of a child, he was relieved for about 10 minutes until he found the child was a literal psychopath like full-on Joffrey. The kid beat him, cut him, and stacked wood on him until he stumbled on the path, lashing him even more when he did. And all this was just for fun. The kid was enjoying it. Lucius was mildly relieved when the kid was eaten by a she-bear, but horrified to learn that he was held responsible by the parent for not looking after the child and letting that child come to harm. No projecting there. She beat Lucius until her arms got tired, and then... Just as he was about to be executed, Lucius felt the familiar weight of a burden on his back. It was an enslaved man. A whole lot of people, actually. They were making a break for it. Sharit was dead. Tepulmus was dead. And the family was in disarray. And the people who never wanted to be here anyway were making a run for it. With everything they, and Lucius, could carry. It's a long story. But Tepulmus' brother was a jerk, and a monster. He had always quietly loved Charit, but instead of being a kind of creepy dude coming to her front door with a bunch of note cards before moving to America to fight a zombie apocalypse, he took her husband out hunting, and if you thought the Game of Thrones illusions were finished, drugged Tepulmus and made sure he was gored by a boar. Charit found out, poisoned him with a concoction that would make it so he was completely conscious but would never move again before she pulled a Juliet and died on her husband's tomb. Lucius grimaced as best a donkey could. This world was horrifying, but at least he was glad to be leaving this place. It was a mostly uneventful walk to the city. The group of formerly enslaved people and their families, flaming torches up ahead and behind them, saw eyes watching them from the darkness of the forest. Lucius could see and hear what they couldn't. The eyes, they weren't wolf eyes. They were human eyes, and the humans attacked. The caravan felt the pelting of stones. An arrow sunk in the chest of Lucius's rider, and he fell. A call to arms went up among the travelers, and they picked up the clubs and swords they had taken from their former enslaver and formed a circle around the caravan, protecting the children. Two more fell before a shout went up from the trees that they would die before they gave anything to the brigands. The lead traveler lowered their weapon. Wait. The people attacking from the forest, they were the brigands. The travelers were just defending themselves. A sword hit the dirt and a person emerged from the trees. They were just, wait, no, they were just a local group of families defending themselves from roving bandits. Both smiled. Whoops. Ah, oh, my bad. No, my bad. Wow, egg on my face. Uh, no, that's, oh, that's blood. Uh, still, embarrassing. 
a general truce was called, and the travelers shared their provisions with the families, and the families their homes with the travelers, and everyone was better off except for those who died. Lucius made his way to the village, and while he wasn't sentimental, he was a little annoyed to be sold at auction. He kept biting fingers, so the price kept going down until the only interested party was a worshiper who would put a goddess on his back so he could carry it around. It wasn't a bad gig, and they were good guys. He made an accidental escape from them one night when some people camping nearby grabbed him and tried to eat him. Then people thought he had rabies for freaking out about not wanting to be eaten. The worshippers moved on, and he was adopted by some charlatans when they found the donkey, who had a statue of a goddess on his back. Then Lucius was happy to be around some people who didn't want to eat him, for once, until the people who owned him were arrested, and he was, once again, sold. We'll see Lucius continue on his increasingly long journey, but that will, once again, be right after this. Whether you believe them or not, conspiracy theory topics catch people's attention. They stand out. Area 51, Flat Earth, these are just a couple examples. And while conspiracy theories may, in general, still remain in the fringes of society, they're not just about tinfoil hats anymore. Cultural historian and author Colin Dickey takes a deep dive into bizarre theories in his book, Land of Delusion, unscribed. Here, Colin takes an entertaining but grimly serious journey into the warped logic of conspiracy theorists that may hint at society's trajectory. For example, he covers the idea of Tartaria, this Russian empire thought to once stretch from San Francisco to Antarctica, and it's all based on the 1893 World's Fair. Really wild, and I think you'll find it interesting from either side of the fence. And you can dig in with Scribd. Scribd is one of the world's largest digital libraries with instant access to ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, podcasts, even this one, and more. All in a single subscription, all for one price. It's on the go on your phone, on your desktop, pretty cool. Plus, you get access to Scribd originals only available on Scribd, written by leading authors like Margaret Atwood, Roxane Gay, Stephen King. And now acclaimed author Colin Dickey with Land of Delusion. Dive into the Land of Delusion today with a free 60-day trial at try.scribd.com slash myths. That's try.scribd.com slash myths to start with a free 60-day trial. Lucius walked at the mill. His ears picked up something far off. Yep. Mm-hmm. All righty. He stopped. The man behind him walked up. Whip raised when a scream went up from deeper in the mill. The master was dead. Bedlam broke out. While Lucius sifted among the grains for anything to eat. He had been listening for weeks, while the miller's wife talked about how she was cheating on her husband, how often she was cheating, and how she was cheating. She told stories about cheating to her servants. It was all very tiresome. Lucius could hear it all because of his long ears. The miller had found out about it, and that's a whole thing too, and she was worried that he was going to leave her, because he said he was going to leave her. So she talked him into a private room, hit him over the head, and strung him up on a beam. Now there was chaos. But there wouldn't be chaos for long. Lucius knew how these things went. 
the enslaved people that didn't immediately run would be rounded up and sold, while the wife liquidated her late husband's assets. Lucius felt bad for everyone, he did, but he couldn't do anything, so he was just going to look for something to eat. His next master was awesome, but in another strange turn of events, he was attacked by a soldier on the road. Lucius's master, a gardener, beat up the soldier, but the legal system being what it was, the soldier took him to court, took possession of Lucius, since Lucius was the gardener's only property, and Lucius once again went to auction. Lucius was starting to think that horrible people being horrible was not so much the exception, but a hard rule about the world. The family situation of his next family was equally messed up. And though at one point he would have liked to get into the nitty gritty gossip, now he was just really tired. He just wanted to get some sleep. The stepmother was into her adult stepson, but surprise, surprise, he was not into her. So she was going to poison him. She sent an enslaved person out to the pharmacist for one person-killing poison, please. He returned, and she poured the cup. The son drank it in one gulp, but not the son she was hoping for. It was her own young son, the one she had had with the father, and the one that she was thankfully not attracted to. The stepmother turned the situation on itself. She said that her older stepson had approached her, she refused, and he poisoned his half-brother out of spite, so he should be executed immediately. Which didn't make sense to anyone in town. That, how did those two things connect? She said she wouldn't be with him, so he poisoned his half-brother. Did she need to draw them a diagram? They said, yes, please. She couldn't, so they interviewed the enslaved man, who said that he had been ordered to pick up the poison from the pharmacist. They interviewed the pharmacist, who said, yeah, he was asked for people killing poison, but that's not what he gave the enslaved man. The investigators paused. What? The pharmacist said, yeah, if someone comes asking about, quote, people killing poison, you don't give that to them? He just gave the guy a really powerful sedative. They ran to the tomb where, yeah, the kid was waking up. The three returned to the house where justice was done. Well, ancient world justice, meaning the woman who planned and almost killed someone was exiled, which sounds bad until you hear that the enslaved man who carried out her will because he was forced to was hanged. Yeah. Anyway, Lucius wasn't even surprised to be sold again when the father and sons left town for a fresh start. But he was surprised by how cool his new masters were. Two brothers, a baker and a cook, and they were not good at their job. I mean, they were good at baking and cooking, but not at keeping track of things they cooked and baked. Because when they got into a shouting match about it, they found their new donkey looking kind of plump. They laughed it off and then gave him away because it was super annoying to lose their stuff. But fortune smiled on Lucius, at least for a moment. He was given away, not sold, to an enterprising freedman, one night, while they sat around the man's campfire, traveling on the road, the man told Lucius to back up in that offhanded way you talk to an animal, not expecting anything, but Lucius backed up. The man told Lucius to come forward. Lucius did. He told Lucius to spin around and do a little dance. Lucius, since he could understand the man, happily trotted in a circle. It was amazing. 
this donkey could understand human speech. Now, if I found out my dog could understand everything I was saying to her, I wouldn't immediately put her to work in a little traveling sideshow, but that's what this master did. Lucius, for his part, didn't really mind. Doing tricks and getting treats? Way better than endless toil and getting beaten at a mill. Or driving endlessly up a mountain. It was a pretty good gig. Until it wasn't. Lucius learned that there are worse things than being despised and used. He learned that you could be sought after and used. He was known as the trick donkey. He was smart and funny. There were opportunities for him that wouldn't be afforded to other animals. It was different. Rubbing elbows with the richest of the rich in high society, the most powerful. He had been out among murderers, bandits, swindlers, scoundrels. But here he was, staring at the life he always wanted, and it just looked so... bad. Having the means to do whatever you wanted only deepened their depravity. I won't say what Lucius witnessed or experienced during his time as the toast of the town, because this has turned into more of a family podcast over the years, but it was enough that even Lucius, a rich young man as a human, who had very few hang-ups, trotted alongside the servants who were taking him from party to party and made a break for it. He bolted from the town and ran for six miles without stopping. Finally stopped by the sea and his own exhaustion, Lucius collapsed on the beach. For the first time in his long journey from Hypatia, he cried out to the gods for help. Lucius passed out from exhaustion. Lucius saw the sea bubbling before him. The sky was a purple blue. Dom was approaching the horizon behind him. From the ocean, a woman rose. She had two serpents standing on either side. She wore a wreath of corn, which is not corn cobs, but barley in ancient Greece and Rome. Her dress was of all colors, and she floated above the water. She said she had many names, Juno, Venus, Ceres, Prosperina, but her true name was her Egyptian one, Queen Isis. Let's say that Lucius called her Juno for no particular reason. He purified himself in the ocean, bowed, and begged her, please, please, either turn him back into a human or just have this be it for him. He had been through so much. The goddess Fortune had tormented him for months. Slavery, torture, depravity, fear of death at every turn, all this because he accidentally used the wrong ointment? The goddess looked down at him. What made him think anything happened by accident. Lucius didn't have anything to say. The goddess continued. How long had it been since Lucius cried out for help from the gods? Had he ever? How long since he had even sought a rose? He had been free for some time as part of his little sideshow act. She knew for a fact that he had passed roses on the road. Lucius thought back. Oh, the goddess told him that he had been a donkey for so long, he thought that was the only way to be. He was a person, a person made by the gods. He had forgotten that. But here, on this beach, he remembered. He remembered who he was. 
The goddess said that she was speaking with her chief priest in a nearby town. His name was Mithras. She was doing it at the same time she was talking to him. It was a whole Dr. Manhattan thing. Don't worry about it. There was a ceremony in her honor in the town. They would load up a ship with goods and send it out as a sacrifice so they would have a safe trading season. Mithras would be walking with a wreath of freshly picked roses. With that, the goddess disappeared, sinking back into the ocean. Lucius sat there, stunned. She was right. He hadn't tried to go back, to escape. He had been living as a donkey for so long that he almost expected to stay that way. He forgot that there was any other way to live. He trotted down to the town, through the crowds. No one tried to apprehend him. He made his way to the center of the parade, to the procession. There, Mithras was walking with the roses. He lowered them, and Lucius stretched out his teeth and took a bite. His donkey hair fell out. His hooves parted and became soft. His ears and face shrank. He was himself again, Lucius, standing naked in the town square. The people rushed to him and covered him. And the whole way to the ship, they celebrated Lucius, a sage chosen by the gods to grace their presence. Lucius tried to tell them that he was no one special, just some guy who had gone through terrible tribulations and who had learned and grown and, okay, well, that actually does sound like someone special. He sent word to his family, who arrived and rejoiced. You see, when the bandits had been caught, and he wasn't among them, the family feared the worst. They got ahead of the story, and Lucius explained everything. The people of Hypatia had no problem at all believing that a man had been turned into a donkey. Stuff like that happened all the time. He was never charged, and allowed to return to his life. The drinking, the carousing, the moving from place to place following his various appetites, that no longer did it for Lucius. It all felt very donkey-like. He wanted more from life now. He traveled back to where it all began, again, for him. Back at that coastal city, he found Mithrius, and the middle-aged man only smiled. He had been expecting Lucius. Lucius's family didn't understand, but Lucius made the decision to not live like a donkey anymore, but to devote his life to the service of the gods. He gave up wine and fine foods for a time, shaved his head, and was initiated into the mysteries of Isis and Osiris. In that, he found meaning. He and Mithrius stayed friends for years, until the older man passed on. Lucius stayed on as a priest. He would walk each day, up the hill, the morning air cool on his shaved head toward the temple, ready to help the people of his town, ready to live for something more. story was an interesting one, and it meandered for sure. Everything after his first stop at the caves really kind of drags, so we moved quickly through a lot of stuff. If you like hearing about how terrible each and every type of person can be while also reading some of the most questionable material I've ever had to read for this podcast, and that includes all of Greek myth, 
check out The Metamorphoses of Apuleius. Or don't. Or just check out the Wikipedia page to see if it's for you first. You know, when it comes to the story, I do like how Lucius grew up. The donkey does seem like a metaphor for all the different ways that you can be pulled this way and that, ruled by your appetite, your emotions, just everything in the world around you. But we're people. We can choose to be reactionary, vulgar, and mean. Or we can remember that we are human, and so is everyone around us. This story talked about all the terrible ways people can treat each other, but it also showed people who cared, who loved each other, and who helped each other in a dangerous world. Not to get too sentimental, but Lucius forgot this. You don't have to be a donkey. You don't have to be the worst possible version of yourself. Like Lucius, remember that you are human. Find your purpose and go do it. Real quickly, our store is back up and running. We're already a little low on shirts, but we have plenty of posters, stickers, notebooks, and more, so check it out by following the link in the show notes. Also, we now have subscriptions on Apple Podcasts. I see some people have used it already. Thank you so much. Let me know if you have any issues, and there'll be a new premium episode up this Friday with a samurai who gets a fun little accessory to his shirt, a goblin head that hangs off his sleeve. This will, of course, be on the Myth Podcast member feed as well, so look for it wherever you subscribe. Thanks again. The creature this week is the Korori from Japan. It's a tiger-wolf tanuki, so half tiger, half wolf, half tanuki, and it's also cholera? They're mostly tanuki, with the stripes of a tiger in the mouth of a wolf. They also, apparently, have horrible breath, and not like, oh, that's stinky, that makes my hair stand on end, yuck. More like, oh, that's stinky, and it's also going to decimate your country with an epidemic, because yeah, the breath spreads cholera. In the late Edo period, Japan was having a hard time with cholera. Hundreds of thousands were dead. No one knew where it was coming from. It was terrifying. Some people blamed the mythological creatures. But since this was so different from anything they had ever seen, it had to be something new. The Edo period word for cholera is actually the name of this creature, with both of them meaning literally tiger wolf tanuki. Now, newspapers printed things saying that people didn't actually believe this creature existed. It was just a metaphor. A metaphor that you could, apparently, beat to death with a piece of firewood. Yeah, I guess a samurai who was recovering from cholera spotted the tiger wolf tanuki slinking around the outside of his house. Not content to let it be a representation of his own brush with death, he grabbed the first weapon he could find, jumped out the window, and beat the creature to death, apparently roasting it and eating it. So yeah, I wish you not just good health this holiday season, but that if you do get sick, that you'll catch your illness leaving your house, beat it to death with a chunk of wood, and feast on its remains. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.